Dowtel fell dark, a brother's love. It was nightfall, and the pounding of the water up ahead rang in the company's ears. All around them the dark mountain slopes rose, rocks tumbling downhill every now and then. Urkan tread the mountain pass with ease. Behind him thousands of lines of soldiers were marching around the corner, the thump of their feet heavy on the rocky earth. As the Grey One led the soldiers over a final hill, the forces were suddenly bathed in a clear beam of moonlight, shining somehow through the clouds of the choking sky above. There before them lay the God's Junction, although the troops would not have known to call it that. Orkan held up his fist, the dark ring shimmering softly in the moonlight. The sounds of marching boots behind him soon ceased. He looked out with cold black eyes over the crashing waters of the junction below. Rising silently above the waters on the opposite side of the Xandar was the dark shape of the south gate looming up before them. A moment later the moonlight passed as the clouds once again shrouded it from view. All was dark now. Rakan's forces held no light. They didn't need it. Wispy white hair fluttering slightly in the chill air, Rakan stared towards the gate. He could see no lantern light, yet he knew there would be watchers, waiting silently in the shadows of the gate top. Orkan spun, turning to face the Grey One directly behind him. He whispered some words in the ancient tongue, and the other brought forth a large crossbow from his back. Orkan silently took the bow and slipped a bolt into the notch. Holding it before him, he aimed it at the wall top and waited. No one made a sound. The night air was quiet, save for the wind and the rushing water far below. Finally, after what seemed an eternity, the tall Grey One spoke. Lonugak, he said, and fired. The soft whiz of the bolt was hardly audible over the pounding waves, yet a second later a cry was heard on the gate top as the arrow found its mark. That was the signal. Resonating behind him, the sounds of scraping metal began as large weighted broad shields were hauled up and over the soldiers' heads to protect them from above. A yell sounded in the mountains across the water from the gate, and slowly but surely the forces of darkness descended from the mountains of Vinakdur. Forty-six, yelled the man, slamming another handful of coins under the table. In the yellow light of the town hall, the pile of silvers and coppers twinkled slightly. Cheers sounded from the others who stood around watching. But the man sitting across from the other remained quiet. Deal the cards, he grumbled, cracking his knuckles. Another younger boy reached down and picked up the pile of red, ale-stained playing cards and began to deal them between the two players. When he had finished, he set the remaining in the center of the table of the oakwood table and backed away. The two men stared each other down, looking intently at their own cards. Radas stood watching the game from a few feet away. He was smiling grimly as the two men played the first hand, eager to win a pile of money they might never live to spend. At the thought, Radas scowled and turned away, making his way back into the main chamber of the hall. It had been nearly six days since the battle on the river and Hradas grew increasingly nervous with each passing day. He didn't know when the enemy would strike, and that worried him. The city defenses had long been positioned, and the men were kept on guard atop the city walls every hour of the day. Still, he was worried. Lost in thought, the king drifted through the doors of the great hall and out into the cool night air. The sky was clear for once, though who knew how long it would last. Hradas knew it was only a matter of time before the sweeping black clouds of Vinox surrounded them once more. The wind ruffled his short blonde hair as he slowly paced the city streets, eyes fixed upon the stars above him. 
It was some time before Radas arrived at the doors of his chamber, two guards trailing behind him. Two great torches were burning on either side of the doors, held in place by large metal brackets. As the guards took their positions outside the doors, the king pushed through, quickly closing them behind his back. His chamber within was well lit, and Radas made his way to the writing desk in one corner. Sitting down, he pulled the quill from the bottle of ink at his left side and began to quickly mark the paper before him. He wrote with haste and urgency, his fingers flicking deftly from one line to another. When he had finished, he folded it up and fastened it with a bit of string. He then addressed to the front side, small beads of sweat beginning to form on his brow. To the rangers of the south gate, he wrote and sealed it with a royal stamp. And within a minute, the letter was gone, carried away in the hands of a young messenger. Sighing, Radas went to bed, blowing out the bedside candle and drifting into a restless sleep of war and bloodshed. The room was dark, save for a pale beam of moonlight which slipped silently through a gap in the draperies of the window. Rubbing the sleep from his eyes, Radas began to sit, blinking in confusion. There was someone sitting at the foot of his bed. Blinking his eyes rapidly, Hradas leapt from the bed, backing away across the room. In the pale moonlight, Hradas could make out the snowy white hair curling in a braid behind his head. His face and body were obscured in darkness. As the figure turned to face him, its black eyes glinted ever so slightly. It is time, it spoke, and lunged forward. The moment was a blur in Hradas' eyes as Jet Varn leapt toward him, the metal blade of the dragon knife shimmering in the moonlight. The knife went deep into his heart like a tongue of icy flame, freezing tendrils beginning to spread throughout his veins. Awake, little brother. I'm here, said a very small voice in his head. Radas's eyes snapped open. The room was still dark, yet through the window a reddish haze could be seen. There came a pounding on the chamber door. Your Majesty, called a voice. Slipping from the bed, Radas threw on his clothes, sliding a chain coat on beneath his cloak. With a scowl, he placed the sun crown on his head and ran to the door, swinging them open with haste. On the other side, the guards rushed to greet him, handing him a sword, gloves. Come, my liege, yelled one, and together they rushed off along the city wall. The city was aflame. Huge billows of smoke rose up above the men as the soldiers rushed to defend their posts. Buckets of water were being hauled from the wells. Pradas stood on the wall, looking down on the, onto the plain below. Siege engines and soldiers covered the expanse below, flaming rocks and arrows flying from bows and catapults. The other army? questioned Hradas. No, my lord, I don't believe so. They came from the southeast. Hradas' mind flashed to the dream. I'm here, he had said. Jetvarn, he whispered coldly under his breath. Sir Morgan, called Hradas, take the Pigwilan men and man the left wall. Dracon, take the right. My men, he said, turning to face the soldiers behind him. Gather all the horses we've got. We ride out and meet them. All around the screams of men, women, and children could be heard. Choking and gagging were muffled by the crackling fires which sprang from rooftop to rooftop. Tongues of flame leapt up from the approaching army, flying over the walls like a meteor shower as the forces swarmed forward. Kethfar stood beside Hradas on the wall top, shouting orders. Looking over the parapet once more, Hradas peered down onto the dark masses far below. In the darkness, Hradas knew Jetvarn was waiting. As the first rays of sun glinted over the wall tops, Hradas prepared to ride. His battalion of men sat on horseback, swords and weapons in hand as they stood at the eastern doors of the city of Puka. 
The city had not yet fallen. The doors held fast, and the fires had been doused. Now the enemy forces had brought forth ladders, which they were attempting to set against the walls as to provide them a way up. Thus far, however, the soldiers atop the walls had managed to throw off all oncoming ladders backwards, sending them plummeting into the rows of orcs and men below. Suddenly, from high above them on the wall top, the piercing call of many trumpets reverberated off the walls, and with a mighty creaking groan, the grand wooden doors of the city's eastern wall began to swing ajar. And as they swung inward, the glinting rays of sunlight fell upon the swirling masses of the enemy forces beyond. The sound of chanting and beating drums grew louder in the men's ears, and the Fradas could sense their fear. A number of scarcely more than two hundred rode with Fradas, their blue Vimerian armor glittering as the gates swung open. There came a, large, a loud scrape, scraping sound within the barbican as Kratos drew his sword. He swung his horse around to face the men, sword raised high. Men, he began, I cannot promise you your life, and I cannot promise you no pain, but I can give you justice, and justice for our fallen brothers. Do not fight for me. I will not tell you what to fight for. Fight for what you believe in. Fight for those you love. Fight for your realm. Fight for your land. Fight for what good there is left in the world. And as Thradas spoke, he turned his horse around once more as to face the enemy forces who were swarming closer to the gate. For life! For justice! For Wayhak Durham! And with a cry, he sprang forward, kicking his heels hard into the side of the stallion. Behind him, there was a roar as the Vimerian men charged forth behind him. The trumpets blared once more as the great gate slammed shut behind him. The dark forces of Vina crashed headlong into the oncoming horsemen. King Hradas was the first to collide with the oncoming soldiers, his sword piercing the gut of a screaming goblin. All around him, the screaming of battle cries and orc yells filled the air. As the horsemen crashed into the lines of sword and spears, the clanging of metal on metal filled their ears. All around Hradas was a blur of spraying blood and thrashing swords. Hang left! screamed the king over his back, yanking the reins with all his strength, but he knew they could not hear him. Again and again he brought his sword down, slashing and tearing. A crack of thunder whipped through the sky, and a bolt of lightning struck the bell tower in the city behind. Screams were heard as rubble and stone crashed down, but Hradas did not turn. The vision of his brother flashed across his mind once more. Those cold, dark eyes and the chilling smile. A reddish haze covered his vision as the bloodlust stole over him. His face was wrought with pain and anguish and loathing. He kicked his horse's sides harder and dashed forward, hacking mercilessly at the enemy forces with no heed of their blades. Swords and knives struck him, yet they bent and fell, shattering as they hit the earth. The sun crown gleamed upon Hradas' head as the city of Puka burned behind him. Jatvarn was smiling. The city was burning. He stood far back from the battle, behind the very last of the orc and goblin lines. They would win. There was no question of that. But now the shining black orbs that were his eyes did not look upon the city. From where he stood atop a small hill, he looked out across the battlefield, searching for one figure in particular. A gust of wind blew about him, causing his long gray robes to flap in the wind. His hand curled around the hilt of the dragon knife. For now, the figure in question could not be seen, but Jetvarn knew where he would be. He turned. Behind him, clacking their teeth violently, were the Zenarians, their eyes dripping with orange mucus and their claws dug into the ground, waiting for Jetvarn's signal. They must not be released until Hradas was dead. For now, Jetvarn turned to face the burning city once more and let out a hollow, dry laugh. 
My lord king, cried the soldier, your majesty. Galloping with all his speed he could muster, Sir Morgan Kethlar cut and weaved his way through the lines of orcs, jabbing and slashing with his sword as he rode, trampling those in his path. Radask was more than a hundred yards in front of him and riding fast. Morgan urged his horse to go faster. Suddenly he let out a tearing scream of pain as an orc javelin pierced his thigh, sliding deep into the fleshy muscle of his leg. Morgan almost toppled from his horse, but he would not let that happen. Your Majesty! he screamed. Radas! Radas whipped around at the same sound of his name. He would have stopped then and there had he not been going so fast. He swung his horse in a large arc, impervious to the blows of steel and iron. Morgan was falling when the king reached him. Radas sprang from his stallion and rushed to the knight just as he hit the ground, toppling from his horse. Swords and maces rained on his back, bouncing off and bending. Morgan, spoke Radas. Your majesty, <coughs> coughed pain Morgan painfully. Ah, you need to return to the castle. My father, why, Mor just go! Radas was not used to being spoken to in this way, but he leapt up, pulling Morgan with him, slashing at the enemies as he went. Come on now, son, said Radas. Ride back with me. The knight nodded painfully and rode off, spear still fixed in his leg. Radas knew Morgan might have died if he had tried to remove it. Slaying goblins and men as he went, Radas hopped back onto the stallion and urged the horse after Morgan. Close the gate! came the shouts of the guards from above, but it could not be helped. As the gates began to close, orcs were pouring in through the small opening. The inner portcullis held fast. Almost twenty orcs and goblins had advanced inside the barbican before the gates were sealed once more. Morkin, still wounded, stood back while Hradas rode twice around the barbican, slaying the soldiers with ease. Morkin stood in disbelief as the many sword blows bounced off Hradas' light leather armor like rubber. As the king slid his longsword from a final screaming goblin, he leapt from the horse and walked towards the portcullis as it began to ascend. He flashed a brief smile at Morgan and favored him with a wink before leading the two horses, with Morgan still on his, into the ash-ridden courtyard. Although now doused, here the fire had scorched the worst. A field of ash where grass had once been was dwarfed by piles of toppled stone. Bits and pieces of the bell tower were scattered about the square. Fredas grimaced. Then he remembered Morgan. Medic! Medic! he called. Four or five guards approached, followed by Morgan's father. Get this man to the infirmary right away, spat Fredas. Well, don't just stand there, he said, seeing the dazed expressions on their faces. Move, now! Your Majesty... The infirmary has burned, muttered one. Well, then get him to a nurse, anyone. The guards shuffled off, helping a limping Morgan as they went. My lord king, spoke Dracon, clapping him on the back. It's good to see that you're still alive. I see you handled that lot well enough, he said, motioning at the lifeless bodies lying within the barbican. The briefest of smiles flickered across Fredas' face. Yes, well, privileges of being a king, I guess, he said, giving the sun crown a casual tap. Dracon smiled. Pradas wasn't sure if Drakan knew about the crown, although he suspected that he might. Drakan knew much. Pradas's tone quickly changed. Morgan said I must come back, he said, speaking quickly and with more urgency now. Why? Drakan cleared his throat. <clears throat> yes, your majesty, he said. We've just received a letter from the south gate. Pradas's eyes narrowed. What news? Sire, it seems the other army has passed the gate. The letter is three days old. At the time it was written, the previous night's guard was found dead with a crossbow bolt in his skull. The man who found him just spotted the last of the forces descending from the mountain pass. They will be here by nightfall. 
Suddenly a scream was heard from above, and a soldier fell from the wall parapet and landed to their feet, an arrow embedded in his chest. "'What shall we do, sire?' asked Cathfar, grimacing. "'Shall we stand out a rider?' "'I'll go,' said the Frater shortly before Cathfar could get any further. "'What?' scoffed Drakan, dumbfounded. "'You heard me. I'll go. I'll ride out and meet the force on horseback,' replied Fradas, a small smile on his face. "'Have you gone mad? You can't seriously expect me to allow you to do that.' And wipe that grin off your face, you look insane. The smile was wiped from Fadas' face. Now his tone was angry, his voice low and grating. I am the king. I like you, Drakan, but don't forget that. And I order you to let me go. Now it was Drakan's turn to be angry. Oh, I'm sorry, your majesty. But maybe you've forgotten something, boy. You aren't my king. Where I come from, we don't have a king. And don't think to just for a second that just because we're allies... Crab-boom! Drakon was cut off by a resounding crash as another of the blazing inner defense walls came crashing down. The screams of many could be heard as the wall dragged them to their grave. Drakon spun to look, but when he looked back, Hladas was gone. He could see him twenty yards away, leaping into his, onto his horse. No, he thought. I must not let him ride out. Kethfars found himself sprinting over the rocky, ash-ridden ground, coughing in the smoke-filled air. Hladas! he called. Please, just let me speak. But Fradas' eyes were shining. His mouth was set in determination, and his face was full of rage. But then, from some deep well of time within his mind, the image of the little girl appeared, the one who had hugged him. He did not know where it came from, but his feeling of rage was quickly extinguished, the shining, determined air leaving his eyes. He turned his horse to face Drakan. Speak quickly, Kethor, as I must be off. Drakan walked to his side his green eyes sparkling as they often did, despite the smoky air. My lord, we cannot allow you to die. Believe me, Drakan, even if I do get attacked, I've got some surprising talents. Yes, my lord, but all one would have to do is pull that crown from your head, and as good a fighter as you may be, there's no way you would survive, responded Kethfar methodically. Fradas laughed aloud. <laughs> so you do know about the crown, do you, old friend? Yes, I thought you might. Damn, you're good. Anyway, listen. I have no intention of fighting, only to get a glimpse so we know what we're up against. If it's hopeless, we want to abandon the city before it's too late. Drakan was nodding. Yes, sire, but... Listen, friend, you know you're not getting me out of this one. Drakan gave a large sigh of submission. All right, but you must promise me to be careful and keep your wits about you. Deal, friend, said Fradas. Yes, friend, let's keep it that way. Let's, said Fradas, shaking Kethfar's hand and then he was gone like a cool summer breeze. The roaring thunder of the battle outside grew louder once more as Fradas exited the city through the fish door, a small door in Puka's northeastern wall. The door connected to an underground passage which led out of the, out of the city. It had been Tinan's suggestion when they had first arrived in Peguila. Edar had known the city better than Fradas had expected. He had mentioned that it might be used in a time of peril. I believe this qualifies as peril, thought Fradas as he stood behind the door, hesitant to go out. It was a risk. The door was a one-way passage, which meant that he, once he was out, there was no turning back. The door was a long way from the battle, and he shouldn't have to worry about being seen. Fradas pushed the door open and let his horse out, still keeping the door in hand as to provide an exit. He looked to his right. The swarming masses of the Venakian army were a black blob in his vision. They wouldn't be paying attention, and at worst, they would see a small and insignificant dot which they would pay no heed to. Yes, thought Fradas, and if I move quickly, I should be absolutely fine. 
No one's going to rush off the battlefield just to chase some dot. He had made up his mind. He let the door go, watching it swing back into place with a bang that was much too loud for his liking, and then hopped into his stirrups. Taking a deep breath, he charged off across the plain of Jena. But Jet Varn had been watching, and he knew just where to look. His dream had been right. A wide smile spread across his face, and then he began to cackle. Laughing hysterically, he pulled the dragon knife from his pocket and jammed it into the neck of the closest clacker. The beast screamed and fell dead, orange blood gushing from the wound. The clacking of the others grew louder, but Jetvarn didn't care. His vision was red, and his black eyes glowed. He licked the orange blood from the knife. Brushing white hair back, he cracked his neck and looked back at the tiny dot moving fast across the plain. I'll give you a head start, little brother, he thought. One, two, and then he changed. His muscles bulged as his rose melted into him. Black and white fur sprouted from his skin in stripes, and his eyes remained blacker than black. He was massive, a hide of pure muscle. He leered over the Zenarians, the arch of his back at the level of the average human head. The great white tiger howled out a bellow of rage and bounded forward, its long coat ruffling in the wind. Its eyes had one focus, and one focus only. Now rushing across the plain, a sudden vivid dream from only a week ago rushed back to Hradas with an uncanny swiftness. No, he thought. But then he turned his head, and he knew it was over. There, only a hundred yards behind him, he could see the tiger, and he knew who it was. But in the dream I was running, not riding. Not at that point you weren't. He's going to kill your damn horse, isn't that obvious? He kicked his horse harder, willing it to go faster. But turning once more, he could see the tiger rushing towards him. God, he was huge. What could he do? Was there anything? Well, I could spare this, spare this poor chap his life, couldn't I? He thought with a bitter irony. Taking a deep breath, he leapt from the horse and hit the ground hard. The stallion didn't even seem to notice. It just ran on with the wind in its heels. But now he stood, brushing the dirt from his arms. The sun was shining golden across the wilting countryside of Weimar. In the distance, the city of Puka was burning, and there, off to his left side, as he turned to face Jetvarn, glittered the distant image of Walt Lake, the sun refracting off its surface. Now the tiger had reached him. It had stopped ten feet from the king, growling low. Then Hrada smiled. This time he would say the famed line. Hello, brother, he said, still smiling. Let's settle this how we started it. Brother, questioned Jetvarn. The change had occurred almost instantaneously. He now stood as Thradas had seen him in the dream. Jetvarn's white hair had been cut short now, his dark robes flowing about him. Suddenly, in a tidal wave of information, as if a wall had come crashing down within Jetvarn's mind, he remembered. Did it matter? Not in the slightest. If anything, his seething desire to murder Thradas grew. His face would have been red had the life not been sucked out of it. Brother responded Jetvarn slyly. The witty words of the common tongue had come back to him, and his speech no longer had the lilting accent of Phenoch. The crown, he said, I believe it belongs to me. He spoke with a calm ease, yet Hradas could see the crashing waves of hatred in his black, soulless eyes. Sorry, brother, afraid that's off the table. Jetvarn sneered coldly. You're going to kill me anyways, aren't you? Continued Thras, taking, taking a step closer. Why, yes, of course, brother, he said and laughed. Then let's end this. 
Jetvarn's smile grew larger as he pulled the dragon knife from its sheath. It made a sharp grating sound as it went, and Hradas felt an uncontrollable pang of fear rack his body. He drew his sword, Demon's Bane. The two began to circle each other, Hradas swinging his longsword in slow circles, Jetvarn spinning the knife on his finger. Then the Grey One struck, slashing the knife low at Hradas' legs. Leaping backwards, Hradas swung the sword in a large arc. Jetvarn easily stepped backwards. He began to dance and weave his body, black eyes menacing. His tongue flicked in and out of his wide, smiling mouth. Hradas lunged at Jetvarn. There was a clash of steel as the two blades met. Riddle me this, brother, said Jetvarn as he parried Hradas' sword. How did you know I would be here? How did you, grunted Hradas, swinging again. Once again, he stepped aside with ease. A dream, little brother, a dream. Maybe we're more alike than I thought, said Hradas. Jetvarn cackled. Then the dragon knife was moving at an inhuman rate, crossing in X's over Hradas' swords. The Grey One drove the king backwards. His tongue continued to flutter about. I hear your king now, little brother. I hear you're dead now, Jetvarn, and my name is Hradas. All too true, I'm afraid. Now Jetvarn was slashing at Hradas violently, and it was all the boy king could do to block each knife stroke. Jetvarn was laughing. Ha 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 breathed Hradas nervously. I see, Clang, that you've had some Clang practice. The knife tore through tendons in his wrist like butter. The sword went flying, tumbling away in the grass. Hradas was on his knees, screaming, clutching at the limp fingers of his hand. The hand was not gone, but the tendons were severed and his wrist was pouring blood. Ha-ha! <laughs> laughed Jetvarn. Good match, brother. Ha-ha-ha! <laughs> Very good indeed. Though afraid I can't stay much longer. I've got some things to attend to, so I'll have to wrap this up quickly if you don't mind. My name is Hra... Hra... Yes, yes, you've said that already, spat Jetvarn coldly. Stepping forward, he kicked Hradas squarely in the chest and sent the king falling on his back. At the same time, the sun crown fell from the king's head and landed in the short golden grass. Thank you, said Jetvarn, smiling, and snatched the crown from the ground. Slowly and dramatically, he slipped the sun crown over his head. His dark eyes instantly sparkled. Guess that makes me king. Hradas squirmed, screaming and moaning his pain as Jetvarn stepped down on his broken wrist. Tears poured from his eyes and spit flew from his mouth. Jet, Jetvarn, please! Ah! Oh, I'm sorry, whispered Jetvarn, kneeling beside Hradas' prone form. Were you begging for your life? Please, cried Hradas, moaning in pain. Jetvarn, please! Oh, so sorry to cut you off, no pun intended, but I really must be going. He was very close now, and Hradas could smell his, smell his breath. He felt weak and could not fight. He threw his head up, attempting to headbutt him, but Jetvarn pulled back easily. Bad boy, the Grey One said, slapping Hradas across the face. He moved in again, the tip of his nose touching that of Hradas. Hradas, Kegelil, I hereby sentence you to death. Any last words? Go to hell, he croaked out. Oh, a classic, sneered Jetvarn, and he plunged the dragon knife into Hradas' heart. Sorry, brother, he whispered. I'm afraid you won't be coming back like me. See, we've got the crown, and we don't have any need for any new grey ones anymore. Blood sprayed from Hradas' mouth, and he felt the world slipping away before him. 
The icy feeling was just as in his dream, the fiery bolt of cold, its freezing tendrils reaching his way through his veins. And the last thing he saw before the great white light consumed him was the leering face of his brother, black eyes smoking and white hair ringed by the sun crown shining on his brow. And the sun shone directly behind his head, wreathing his form in an ironic sort of halo. Good night, brother, whispered Jetform. Sweet dreams. <laughs>